You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming, with Pastor Keith Miller. It is crazy times that we, you know, I, the people are just weird and nuts, and I don't know how else to explain it. Um, you know, I, the pandemic has been something that's been just, I think, something that we've all found interesting. Things keep changing all the time, it seems like, right? Uh, I, um, I, in the midst of the pandemic, there were two instances where I, I had encountered things I, I had not encountered. Like, I had gone to, I've been going to the, I've been working out in a gym since like 2012. I've been cycling since 2015. Never did I encounter anybody aggressive uh, face to face, but but some time ago, I had somebody in the gym who, who questioned me, the way I was using weights in kind of an aggressive way. And like, I was like, really? Um, so you had that. And then, and then this, on Monday, I was cycling, and there was, and this just didn't happen to me. Two weeks ago, it happened to Dan back there, who was cycling. He told me about it. I could hardly believe it, that a guy in a, a white pickup truck pulled over and aggressively approached him. And then on Monday, this guy in a white pickup truck was shouting as he drove by, and I didn't help matters much because I shouted back. And, <laughs> but, he, but he pulled over and got in my face and like, was real aggressive with, with me. Like I thought he was going to, to, to hit me. Like I just, and, and then he drove off. And there was this part of me that, like, and this is not me trying to sound tough. This is not me. Be, this is me being an idiot. Okay, um, I want like there was a part of me that wanted him to hit me, and then and then after he drove off, I tried to find him on my bicycle, which makes no sense at all, <laughs> right? So <laughs> until I came to my senses, all that to say that everything that's happening in our world, the reason why I chose to preach through Daniel is because I need to hear Daniel. That's why we're preaching through. That's why I'm preaching through Daniel, not because I think you need to hear me preach on Daniel. It's I need to hear Daniel. I need to spend time in in Daniel. I need chapter 11 to saturate my rock solid heart. You know, the hard heart sometimes. You know, I mean, what, what, I may be a pastor, but I'm <laughs> I'm jacked up too. I need I need the grace of God. I need God to work in my heart as well. And. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so, um, and for this kid, um, like what compels people to do that? What compels somebody to, to stomp on another kid's arm while another kid videos it, records it? What compels somebody to lose it over a cyclist on the road and decides to pick a fight with, 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 the, with the cyclist? Like what, what compels people to do that kind of thing? Um, our hearts are fickle. The heart, the Bible says, is sick, desperately sick, and who can understand it? That, I mean, that's the best explanation we receive. But on, on a lighter note, as I was thinking through uh, the pandemic and thinking through Daniel chapter 11, uh, just did some, just, just decided what were some of the top things that people, um, people, people bought and things that were pretty much unavailable? Well, there were a number of things. There was fruit and vegetable seeds. People bought those up. 
during the pandemic, dumbbells. I remember trying to find dumbbells for, for my home gym. Um, couldn't find those anywhere. Treadmills. People bought treadmills during the pandemic. Yeast, just to make bread, I guess. Gaming consoles. Uh, people bought up the gaming consoles. Face masks. You know, you couldn't find face masks anywhere. And then, um, obviously, uh, booze. People bought booze. Booze was, was a hot commodity. Uh, some of the other things, and I know you're thinking, I, I, there's something I missed, but I, I want, I've included in the list of weird things that people uh, purchased during the pandemic. And I have pictures, like quail eggs and water, cans of quail eggs and water. Who buys that stuff? Don't raise your hand if you do. I just, <laughs> like, I don't understand that. Anti-aging face masks during the pandemic. People bought that, like cream. To, to <laughs> anyway, let's go on. Um, Roller skates. <laughs> I couldn't resist. I thought this was an awesome picture. Um, roller skates. People bought roller skate, skates. Scented candles. Leave this on the screen for a while. You'll get it. Um, only two people laughed. Come on. That's funny. Uh, <laughs> so, scented candles. And then, toilet paper. You remember that, right? Toilet paper. That's an act. That is a picture. That's not... That's a real dude who's got enough toilet paper for the next five years. Um, and then, number six, a bidet for the bathroom. So, how many of you know what a bidet is? Good. I'm not going to have to explain it. How many, do, how many of you don't know what a bidet is? Just, it's no shame. Actually, it's no shame at all if you don't know what a bidet is. Okay, good. I was just going to... Kids, go home and ask your parents what a bidet is. <laughs> I, was, I, I was introduced to a bidet in Tokyo. And I, okay, don't think less of me for this, but they are pretty awesome, okay? I'm just going to say, it's like, it's, it's like a full car wash. Just, <laughs> all right. I wasn't going to say it, but I said it. Okay, so <laughs> I, <laughs> I did a, <laughs> Some of you are asking, did he just say that? Yes. Um, I read a study about, because I really was curious, why, why toilet paper? Why? And it wasn't just the United States that bought up toilet paper. I mean, this was, this was kind of a global event in, in many places in the world, except for places that use bidets, I guess. But um, this is what they said. This is what the study found. Given that stockpiling is objectively unrelated to saving lives or jobs during a health crisis, the finding supports the notion that toilet paper functions as purely a subjective symbol of what? Safety. I don't know how that is. Like how buying, stockpiling on, on toilet paper makes me feel safer during a pandemic. But, um, but it, it does. And here's the underlining root for that. Anytime we find ourselves in a situation where things seem pretty ugly and the future is uncertain, People do some weird things, um, and I think we, we've all, well, we all witnessed that. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to work our way through Daniel. I need to hear the message of Daniel. This, uh, I, I mentioned last week, the angel that, that was delayed in meeting up with Daniel in chapter 10, the message that he had brought to Daniel is Daniel chapter 11. Now, the, we're going to spend two weeks in Daniel 11. We only have three weeks. If you include today, three weeks in Daniel. 
Um, so this week, Daniel 11. Next week, I'm going to talk about the Antichrist uh, some. And then Brian um, is going to, our youth pastor is going to preach that on the, on the 15th. And then I will wrap up Daniel with Daniel chapter 12. But I need to hear this. In Daniel chapter 11, it is so detailed. It's probably the most detailed, most precise prophetic passage in the Bible. It is very detailed. And it's the reason why uh, critics of the Bible really believe that Daniel had to have been written after Antiochus IV or maybe sometime during Antiochus IV, uh, his reign. Not during the tail end of the reign of Babylon, which Daniel opens up with. You know, it takes place uh, towards the tail end of the Babylonian Empire leading into uh, the rise of the Medo-Persian Empire. Critics of the Bible believe that this had to have been written later, not earlier, because of, like, for example, Daniel chapter 11. Here's what I'm going to do. As we look at Daniel chapter 11, um, there are two, my, here are my two points, my two sermon points that I just want to share with you up front. The first thing that we discover in the very beginning of Daniel chapter 11 is that kings and kingdoms will come and go. That's been a theme all through Daniel. Right from the very beginning, God raises up kings; He deposes them. He puts nations in power; He removes nations of power. Like He, He, he that God is behind that. So kings and kingdoms will come and go. And then, secondly, darker days are still to come. Like when when the angel brought this message to Daniel, that is the message. Daniel, kings and kingdoms will come and go, but and there are darker days that will still come, but. The Prince of Peace will come one day and he'll make all that is wrong with this world right. And what I want to do is the first part of, 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 of these verses, we don't have time to read through all the verses, but what I want to demonstrate is just how precise Daniel chapter 11 is regarding historical events that have happened, but there were, Daniel's, there were still yet in Daniel's future. So verses 3 through uh, 5 we read these words. If you have a Bible, you want to turn open to Daniel chapter 11, use your digital device to follow along, look over somebody's shoulder if you want uh, to, or whatever, or a Bible in, in the seat. You can use one of those and take it home with you if you'd like. But Daniel chapter uh, 11, verse 3, then a mighty king shall arise who shall rule with great dominion and do as he wills. What, what mighty king is, is being talked about here? Alexander the Great. Okay? And if you know uh, about history, it continues to say something pretty amazing. And as soon as he has arisen, his kingdom shall be broken and divided toward the four winds of heaven, but not to his posterity, nor according to the authority which he ruled. What happened to Alexander the Great? He died a young death. And then what happened as a result? There were four generals that kind of took over the empire of Greece, unrelated to, unrelated to Alexander the Great. Daniel chapter 11 said this was going to happen. It happened. Um, and then one of the most striking sections of chapter 11 is verses 6 through 9. And I just want to share this as a, just as an, as an example of how precise this is. And then I want to, I want to, I'll, I'll let you know how that, how verses 6 through 9 and the rest of Daniel 11 speak to my heart. But in Daniel's, or in Daniel 11 verses 6 through 9, it says, after some years, talking about these kings, shall make an alliance, they shall make an alliance, and the daughter of the king of the south, that's Egypt, by the way, shall come to the king of the north, that's right, right around Syria, to make an agreement, but she shall not retain the strength of her arm, and she and his arm shall not endure, 
but she shall be given up and her attendants, uh, he who fathered her and he who supported her in those times. So just so you know, uh, you know this, but in those days, how did you make an alliance with another nation, another kingdom? You, the king would give his daughter to be married to that king of that other nation. That's what's being described here. And it continues, and from a branch from her roots, one shall arise in his place. He shall come against the army and enter the fortress uh, of the king of the north, and he shall deal with them and shall prevail. He shall also carry off to Egypt their gods with their metal images and their precious vessels of silver and gold. And for some years he shall refrain from attacking the king of the north. Then the latter shall come into the realm of the king of the south, but shall return to his own land. So what was happening there? What was being described? Why, why do critics lose it of the Bible over this passage and say, therefore, Daniel must have been written later? Well, here's why. Sometime around 250 BC, a king from Egypt by the name of Ptolemy II, I don't know if I'm butchering his name, um, but that's him here, uh, made a deal, made a pact with Antiochus II. That's this strikingly handsome guy here, right? Uh, and and so sent his daughter, I think the way her name's pronounced is Bernice, uh, sent her to be married to Antiochus. Now here's the problem with Antiochus II. He was already married. And for this deal to work, he had to basically divorce his current wife at the time. Uh, and her name was, uh, I want to say, Laodice. And disinherit her sons. Um, and so... Jonathan, did you, do you know how it's pronounced? Say it loud. Yeah, what he said. <laughs> For those of you who don't know Jonathan, he's from Italy. And, um, and so last time I butchered these names, he told me, this is how you say it. I'm like, okay, I should have asked you before my sermon. Uh, so anyway, so anyway, what happened was uh, she was, she was ticked off, the, the current wife was ticked off, We'll just call her Mrs. L, because I'll butcher her name. Uh, she was ticked off and had, um, uh, had this, this daughter that was sent to be married to her current husband, had her murdered and, and then poisoned her husband. So it didn't go well for, for Antiochus II. Uh, and then I believe Bernice's, uh, I want to say her brother or somebody related to her came in and, and made things even worse. All that to say this that what, verses, what these verses describe happened. And, and here, I mean, you may be wondering, well, well, how's that relevant to, like, me today? How's that relevant to Monday? How's that relevant to guys in, you know, white pickup trucks getting out trying to pick a fight with you? God is in the details. That's, that's the point, I think. Like, when, when this angel came with his message to Daniel, Daniel would long be dead before any of these events would ever happen. And I think the point is God is in the details. He is moving and he's working in a way that, he is, that he's bringing everything to a point. He's moving all of history to a point when the Prince of Peace will come and he'll make what's wrong with this world right and we will experience peace as, as, as we long to experience peace. He is in the details. Like, uh, my guess is that as the Hebrew people were living out these, was it, I think like 170-some years, 
175 years that, chat, that these verses describe in chapter 11. As they were living out their years, my guess is that many of the people wondered, what is the point in all this? Why are we going through this? Why, why this? Why this to our people? Is God really listening to me? Does he care? Does, does he know my situation? And Daniel chapter 11 tells us, yes, he knows and he understands. And all the stuff that's happening in our world today, the power posturing of China, Iran, Russia, even the United States, do you think that's random? Do you think that's pointless? Do you think there's, there's, there's no point behind all that? No, God is moving and he's in the details and he's stirring all of human history to an end. And that end ends with and begins with Jesus Christ. The whole Bible is, about, is a story about Jesus. And... Um, and so that's the point of Daniel chapter 11. The stuff that happens in your life is not random. Um, it is not random. It is not pointless. You know, our hearts are fickle, and God meets us where we are, and he loves us too much. Listen, like he loves us too much to leave us as we are. Like he will not, he is not satisfied with where you're at right now. But he will meet you where you're at, and he will mold, and he will shape you, and he will move you into to looking more like his son. And so that is the point of Daniel chapter 11. There is so much history that Dan, Daniel chapter 11 covers. We don't have the time to really unpack all of that, but I want you to hear what I just said. He is in the details. Like He does not waste tears. He does not waste a hurt. He does not waste your suffering. There is a purpose in it. You might not see it. You might not understand it. I'm still scratching my head over the guy in the white pickup truck. Like, right? And you're scratching your head over stuff that happened in your life. But we can know that God is doing something in it. He's turning it around. He's turning it around. Which leads me to the second point, and that is that dark days are still to come. Which is not encouraging, I know. Like, that's not the, like, you want to hear, I want to hear, hey, it's going to get better, like, immediately. And the answer to that is, it's going to get better, but not immediately. It's going to seem worse before it gets better. Um, but God is doing something amazing and awesome in this. And verses 21 through uh, verse 35 describes this next guy, this next king. And a large section of this passage is dedicated to this next king, and his name's Antiochus IV. Like uh, the Antichrist that's coming in the future, like Antiochus IV is a foreshadowing of that guy. Antiochus IV was a bad dude. He was evil. He was wicked. He was violent. He was also very smart. He rose to power because of his, his, his you know, ability to, to manipulate others. He's described in verse 22 as a contemptible person to whom royal majesty has not been given. He took it. And the way he rose to power was by, according to verse 22, by flatteries. Uh, he, he, he made alliances, political alliances that, would only, that he only honored so long as they served to his interests. And, and, and alliances that he benefited from. He, um, 
There was one group of people that he absolutely hated above all other people, and, that were, and those were the Hebrew people, the Jews. He despised them. He hated them. While in a, during a campaign in Egypt, he learned of an, attempt, an attempted uprising by the Jews in Jerusalem. The Maccabean Revolt, you ever hear of that? Um, you know, the, the Hanukkah, all of that. Is, 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 like, that happened um, as a result of Antiochus and everything that he brought. And so uh, he turned his attention to Jerusalem, marched into Jerusalem, and I preached on uh, Daniel chapter 8 and talked a little bit about this guy, but uh, I'll, I'll just reiterate what he did or remind you what he did. But he killed at least 40,000 Jews when he entered into Jerusalem. He banned all Jewish practices of worship, like the sacrificial system, where, you know, worshiping Yahweh. That was banned. That was, that was illegal. Um, circumcising their children was banned. They were not allowed to do that. He marched into the temple and he, he uh, erected an a, a idol in honor of Zeus in the Holy of Holies. He sacrificed a pig on the altar. This was a bad guy. And um, he turned the temple into a place of idolatry. And Daniel was warned about this. In chapter 11, verse 31, it says, Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. That's what this guy did. And Daniel was warned about him. And every generation leading up to Antiochus IV was warned about Antiochus IV from Daniel chapter 11. He also warned that Antiochus IV would seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. Listen to what he says here in verse 32, that this, this Antiochus guy will seduce, will seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant. Well, what does that mean? This is what it means. He would, he, he, he would say, or he said, or if you turn from Yahweh and worship the gods of, you know, my gods, then it will go well with you. You know, freedom, you'll have your life, it will go well with you if you turn from Yahweh and you turn from worshiping him. And then verse 32, the second part of verse 32 says, but the people who know their God will stand firm and take action. Well, how in the world do you get to the place where you know your God so you can stand firm and take action? When you listen to his word, when you listen to his word, like when you know the God of the Bible, the God of creation, when you really know him, when some dude comes around and says, hey, uh, you don't need this, you don't need to listen to this, you don't need to obey this, you can, you, there's life outside of this, you can, you can actually maximize your life and your joy if you just ignore this book, that's a lie. And, and Daniel says here in chapter 11, he's warned that those who know their God will, take, will stand firm and take action. What that means is that you'll be able to see through the lie. You know, in our world, there are a lot of lies that are being thrown at you, right? Uh, all kinds of lies. But those who know their God will be able to stand firm, there's a theme, uh, there's, a, there's a phrase actually that's repeated in, in the book of Revelation where, um, and throughout the Bible actually, throughout the New Testament, 
that those who persevere to the end will what? Will live. What does that mean? Those who stand firm. Well, how do you stand firm? When you truly know the God who, who, who sent his son to die for you, you will not turn your back on him. Now, I'm not talking about you will never sin or you will never, you, you will never, um, you know, be tempted to, to, to turn your back on him. What I'm saying is the duration of your life, you will not turn from him. There's a word that's used for that. It's called apostasy. You will, never, you, will not turn, you will not apostatize. You will not permanently turn your back from him. Those who know their God will stand firm. And, um, and so uh, the Maccabean revolt happened, and those, you know, there were individuals who refused to obey you know, the, the, the laws of, of Greece. And, um, and so it goes on to say in verses 33 and verse 35, it says, and the wise among the people shall make many understand, though for some uh, days they shall stumble by sword and flame, but, capti- but captivity and plunder, meaning uh, there's a price that's going to be paid for standing firm for many people, and what that price is, is a physical death. Like, that's what Jesus meant. I, said that, I, I see this often, but I, it's so true. Jesus said to his disciples, some of you they will kill, but not a hair on your head will what? You should know this. Perish, right? Not a hair on your head will perish. What did he mean by that? Exactly what is you know, meant in Daniel chapter 11. Yeah, you, you, it might not physically go well for you, but you're not going to lose your soul. And, um, and so that's the encouragement that's being given here. You know, who are the, like, who are the wise? The wise are those who, you know, share the word of God with the people. Not just pastors, by the way. That's, it's, you're included in the wise. Like, if you're opening this book and you're sharing it with those and you're saying, hey, look at the God of all creation who purchased you through his son, who loves you with an everlasting love. Like, look at him. Look what he's done for you. you you're listed as those who are wise. That We have a responsibility, the Bible says, to spur one another on to love and good deeds. That's, what the, that's, that's in the New Testament. You, you want to know how we can serve one another? Um, by encouraging one another and outdoing one another in love and good deeds, by pointing people and pointing each other to Jesus. That's why gathering together is important. That's why life groups are important. That's why opening up your Bible at home and just reading through the Bible and, and studying it is important. Those who know their God will stand firm. And the wise the wise who help them understand it, um, you know, serve that purpose as well. And so Antiochus, he, he, hated, he hated the Hebrew people. He made life very difficult on them. And, um, and many people died under, under his you know, reign of terror. And I mentioned this when I preached on Daniel chapter 8. Antiochus died a pretty horrible death, Antiochus IV. Uh, we're not sure if it was... Um, some kind of disease in his bowels, or if it was worms. But either way, I think that's a pretty bad way to die. Don't you? Like, I don't want to die that way. Like, it is said that the odor that emanated from his body was so horrible that not even he could stand it. And, and here's what happened. When Antiochus breathed his last breath, do you know where he found himself? Before the presence of God. I, I believe that Jesus is the one who judged the nations. And, uh, 
And I, I believe that when Antiochus died and he stood before this throne and, and on that throne he encountered this triune God and he was judged. Like, um, that's the moment where my guess is he probably thought to himself, I should have made better life decisions, right? Like, where did that lead to? Everlasting hell. Like, the Bible says that there are two, like, so right now the Bible says that once you die, you face a judgment. All, every single one of us, once we die, there's a judgment. For those who believe in Jesus, which is many in this room, if not all of you, um, when you die and you breathe your last breath, you will, you will stand before God and you will be ushered into heaven. Um, I, get, I preached a whole sermon on what is heaven today. But there's another judgment that's coming, and the, the Bible, call, we call it the great white throne judgment. And at that judgment, many people will experience what is called a second death. And those of us will, um, will experience uh, a different type of life. So Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, which is um, a few weeks from now, says this. Let's read this together. Ready? And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. That's describing this coming judgment that's happening or that's going to happen one day. Revelation chapter 20, you know, gives us more details about that. I want to read it for you. Uh, the words will be on the screen. It says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Like, that is serious stuff. Like, the greatest need of our country, of our city, of our communities, of your family, is Jesus. The only thing that is going to change the culture in the, from the direction it seems like it's heading is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not legislation, not laws, the gospel. Every single one of you woke up this morning and came to church because of the I'm assuming all of you, if not most of you, because the gospel has changed your life. It has changed your life. There is only one story that has the power to transform your life, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not stories that you read, of, you know, read in books outside the Bible, not what you see on the movie screen. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to change lives. And that alone. People need to hear the gospel. And the, and the thing, the verse that haunts me in a good way in, this, in, in chapter 11 is verse 32. Like, what does it mean that the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action? What, how, what does that mean for me? Um, you know, I think probably if I didn't know Jesus, if I didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus, 
my response to the person who confronted me on the side of the road probably would have been a lot different. And then, yeah, I do stupid stuff. Like, you know, I, I, it takes me a little bit to collect my thoughts. Like, like why? What, if you could see the reasoning in my brain on, on Monday, it just makes no sense. But what brought me back to my senses? What I know of God, the God that I, that I love, the God who's been is, is patient with me, like, I was really angry over this, uh, all the things that this person said to me. God has every right to send me right to hell because of, the, because of my actions and my behavior throughout my life. And, he, and he's not disgusted by me. He pursues me, and he, he calls me his own. In fact, not just that, he calls me his treasured possession. And the same is true for you. There are darker days that are coming, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to get more difficult. Like, you think COVID is rough? Just wait. And the Bible says there have been antichrists and there are more antichrists that will come. There is a antichrist, I believe, that is coming. I'll talk about him a little bit next week. But 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 19 says this. It says this, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, the antichrist is coming. So now many antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they were not that they were, were all not of us. Talking about those who were part of this church uh, that John, the Apostle John, um, helped pastor, and they turned, they turned away, and John said they never really belonged to you. There's this spirit of Antichrist that the Bible talks about, the New Testament talks about, and that's all around us. I said last week, our greatest enemy is probably our flesh. It's not the future Antichrist. It's not the devil. Um, it's not even the world. It's first and foremost, my own heart. But I, I, I shared this quote with you. I want to share it again. I think this describes the spirit of Antichrist. The devil is against us, the world is around us, and the flesh is within us, collaborating to defeat us in our Christian walk. And so the usher is going to distribute the communion, the, the juice and the, and the um, little wafer bread thing. As they do, I just want you, to, I want you to hear these words. Like Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Think about what that means. Like Jesus said, I am life. The world says, no, life is found in whatever you want to do. Just don't find it in God. But Jesus said you can find your life in him, um, that that is where your life is found. I need one of those, by the way. <laughs> and so when Jesus said, I am the bread of life, he's saying, he, what he's saying is, or what he meant was, I am where you can find your satisfaction. I am where you can find your contentment. I am where you can find your life. You want to know what it means to thrive? You want to know what it means to experience real joy, the kind of joy that even when the world is giving way around you, 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 you know it's not the end for you, 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 that you're content in your relationship with him? Like you, you find that in Jesus. That's what Jesus, I believe, meant when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody can come to the Father except by me. He said, I am the bread of life. 
Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. So as you, once you receive this, um, the bread and, the, and this little cup, I want you to think about what Jesus said. He said the same, something similar in, in the upper room when he was celebrating the Passover for the last time before his death. He said, this bread, this bread is going to be broken for you. I'm going to die on a cross in your place for your sins. By my stripes, you're going to be healed. Through my piercing, I'm going to be pierced for your transgressions. Like everything that the prophet wrote about, or all the prophets wrote about, but the prophet Isaiah wrote about in chapter 53, that's coming, like that's, that's real, like that's happening. He said, every time you come together, I want you to remember what brings you together, that it's, that it is my body. I want you to remember that the reason why you have eternal life is because of what I did on the cross for you. He said, so when you come together, um, do this in remembrance of me. So let's take the bread and eat together. Not only will we not hunger, but he also said, we'll never thirst. We'll never thirst. Thirst for what? Thirst for meaning. Thirst for purpose. Thirst for um, contentment. Like we were made to know God. And the reason why the world is jacked up is because it's running from God. And um, the same God who pursued me and pursued you is a God who can rescue the kid who broke the other kid's arm in two places from his sins, can rescue the kid who recorded him, could rescue those who stood around and did nothing. That God pursues sinners just like that as, uh, as he pursued you and he pursued me. Jesus held up the cup, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Every time you gather together, I want you to drink this and remember it's what I did on the cross for your sins. Let's do that together. The people who know their God should be able to stand firm. That's why, that's why we open this book every, every Sunday together. In our life groups, that's why our life groups open, open the book together. Yeah, we have fun together, we hang out, we do things together, we build community together, but, um, but I honestly do not have anything good to offer outside of this. Like, this is the best thing I can give you and, um, and the best way that I could serve you. Because how is it that you'll be able to withstand hard, hard times, great global sorrows it will be keeping your eyes on the God who rescued you from your sins and that God we learn of in the Bible amen and if you're here and you don't know who Jesus is and you're like man I, I never heard this before I never really understood it before the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God, that God raised him from the dead you will be saved the Bible says that there is salvation found in no one else but the name of Jesus Jesus the Christ 
that, um, that the only way to have your sins forgiven is if you, <laughs> if you humbly go before God in prayer and you just tell him, I want my sins to be forgiven. I want Jesus in my life. If you have never done that, I implore you, I don't care what age you are, that before you leave here, you pray to God and you ask him to, 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 to come into your life. You might not have all the theological questions answered, but you don't have to, but the one thing you need to settle on is that, that God sent his one and only son out of his great love for you, that, and he lived a life that you could never live, a perfect life, and he died a death that you deserved and I deserved, and on the third day he rose from the grave. And um, that if anybody believes that, they will not perish but have everlasting life. That your sins will be forgiven. That you will become a son or a daughter of the God of all creation. That there will be nothing that will be able to separate you from his love. The Bible says that if you just by faith believe that Jesus did that in your place, that you will be saved. I implore you that before you leave here, if you have never done that, that you do that before you leave. And if you do that before you leave, if you do talk to God about this before you leave, that you tell somebody about it. Tell your parent, your mom, your dad, tell your, your, the person sitting next to you, or come up front um, while I'm standing here and you tell me about it. But tell somebody about it before you leave here. We also want to get you a Bible if you don't have one. We have plenty of those, okay? I'm going to pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives and through our lives. Thank you for Daniel chapter 11. God, thank you that you are in the details, that you are moving and working in a way that has purpose and design, and that you're going to turn this around one day. And we thank you for the hope that is ours in Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.